0: For first six weeks, especially the first three weeks, if we start interrupting with a pump <laughs> or with a pacifier, we can alter what the body's doing. So if the body is feeding the baby and the baby's taking this much, because that's how big their belly is, but your head's like, oh, I don't know, it didn't feel like the baby took very much. An hour later, they seem hungry. I bet I don't have enough. I should probably start pumping. And then you pump. And all you see is this much milk. And you're like, oh crap, I don't have very much. See, I knew it, I gotta pump some more. Instead of going, oh, it's probably exactly what my baby needed because their belly's only this big.
1: Hey guys, my name is Shayla. Welcome to the Hey Shayla podcast. I went from full time travel to full time new COVID mom, and holy wow is motherhood and adulting a learning curve there are so many decisions we need to make and a million ways to do it right i created this podcast to interview some of my gurus to share their knowledge and empower you on your journey let me be your guinea pig and ask the questions we think everyone else knows here we're a little hippie we try to do things as naturally as possible and we don't take ourselves too seriously but above all we support one another and work to find what works If you're into it, you're our people. Let's get started.
0: Hi. I don't, do lives make you nervous? No, I love this. Okay, great. You can just carry that. What makes me a little nervous is that at this moment in time, there are nine children in my house. Three of are mine the other six? Are not, and the woman who's supposed to be helping me is not here yet. Oh, <laughs> she'll be here, she's literally <laughs> on the street pulling up. Good. But nine children in my house, all under the age of nine, so we could get interrupted. I'm in my oh. I'm hiding in my backyard carriage. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I
1: feel like most of the people here are moms, so they'll be like, Oh, feels like home. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Okay, so I was just introducing you as my breastfeeding guru who just like got in my DMs and was like, hey, let me know if you need anything. And I was like, okay, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And you were just like the most information that I could have asked for. And so when you asked to do this, I was like, yes, please. Like, I wanted to ask you, but you've got nine kids at your house sometimes. So I decided <laughs> time. So this is perfect. And then I was talking about how I, we got a bunch of questions and I was like, cool, let's answer all of these. And you were like, that's going to take three hours. And I was like, oh, we don't have, we don't have three hours. So we're focusing on oversupply and undersupply. Yes, But I want you to start by just like, tell us what you do. Tell us what you've done. Tell us how you know anything about all these things other than having
0: three kids of your own. Yes, yeah, a part of it. Three and one more on the way, which you can't see in the video, but... So, um, a little bit about me. I, um, let's see, where do I even start? We'll start here. <laughs> when I was in college, I wanted to get my child development. That's what I went to school for. I played volleyball. Hard to tell. I'm six one. I was an athlete forever. So in college, I started working at WIC, the women, infant and in their breastfeeding promotion department. And I was passionate about it because my mom at that point in time had actually written a grant that got funded down here in Southern California for a couple million dollars to help hospitals become baby friendly. And baby friendly is a term that you should know if you are pregnant because hospitals, especially ones in California, should be on their way to be friendly. Um but also United States, it's a worldwide certification that basically means as a hospital, we have made changes to commit to breastfeeding and success with breastfeeding and babies rooming in and like being able to the skin with you. So in order for a hospital to become baby friendly, they have to do these certain things and then mm. they can get certification and It's worldwide certification. So my mom got really passionate about helping become baby friendly. She dragged me along to everything. I went to all the conferences. I literally had posters of like breastfeeding women in my dorm room walls. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Like, why don't we talk about breastfeeding more? Why don't we understand? And then I was getting my degree in child development, but like really quickly realized a kid Like, it's almost too late in preschool because they need a secure attachment. And one of the best ways to get a secure secure attachment is with a primary caregiver, and breastfeeding is one of the best ways to do that. So, like, if I really want to help children be, like, functional people, it starts really at, like, birth and breastfeeding, like, before preschool. So, that's, like, where the root started, was really my mom's passion. And then I graduated college. I went back to school to become a nurse. I became a labor and delivery nurse. During that time, I got pregnant with my first and I decided to have a home birth because I thought what we were doing in the hospital to women was kind of crazy, even though I was part of it. I thought it was nuts. And as I like ventured more into home birth world. I transitioned out of helping on the floor and I transitioned at my hospital into education, teaching childbirth classes, teaching breastfeeding classes, running our breastfeeding support group. We did not have a breastfeeding support group that was thriving. And I went to my boss and I said to her, this is lacking. People need this. Moms are lost. Moms are lost wow. and alone. They feel alone. Yes, 99% of what they're going through is normal, but no one's told them that. Right. So they think they're failing. So when I approached her and said, I will take this on. I want to run a breastfeeding support group. I'll be there every day. I started this support group. It grew and grew and grew and grew. Um, it was great. And I was teaching our classes and all of that was wonderful. Um, during that time, I got my IBCLC, which means I'm an international board certified lactation consultant, which means I, so it took me about two years to get enough of my hours and my education to get the certification. And then I had to sit for a board exam that's. The same, no matter where you take it in the world. So I'm like qualified to practice lactation anywhere in the world, oh, wow. which is, good. um, actually have to just reminded myself by September, <laughs> I have to renew it because <laughs> it's been five years anyways. So then, um, as things shifted at my hospital, um, I had a second kid, third kid. Um, I decided to stop working at the hospital and run my own thing. In my own time, I wanted to just not be working for anyone else but myself. So now I run a breastfeeding support group out of my home. Um, over this past year of COVID, we decided to renovate our space. I'm sitting in it right now. We're having our very first open house tomorrow. And I'm so excited. It's beautiful. <laughs> I'm, so excited. <laughs> that was um, I'm so excited. So now I've just I'm hoping now after I have this baby to transition into like teaching classes and more things here. But that is my like professional background. Personally, I nursed my daughter, um, Kylie, my oldest until she turned four, which I know thinks people think is crazy. We can talk about that (laughs) at some point in time. That's okay. Um, but I nursed her for two years and then through my pregnancy and then I tandem nursed, So I nursed both my babies for almost two years until she turned four. We had a weaning party and then I nursed my second, um, until I was, through my pregnancy with my third and nursed them together for just a handful of months until he turned four. And now my third is three and a half and I will nurse him for about six months with this baby until he turns four and we'll do a weenie party and then I'll nurse this one. So I have been breastfeeding one or two children for the last nine and a half years mm. straight. And these are not even a boobs. So we're going to talk about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what if my boobs are small or like, what if they're huge? Is it going to matter? And We can get into that, but... Okay, so, like, you kind of know something about something about breastfeeding. (laughs) That's amazing. So I guess we'll just kind of go right into it. With the oversupply, undersupply, I even came to you with some questions with this because I had an oversupply. But when you're – and let's just start off by saying we're talking specifically about exclusive breastfeeding. But this is not to exclude anybody who's pumping or anybody that's – I mean, it's not the information for them, but like, I just want to say all are welcome, all are supported, all are loved. We're just giving information specifically to breastfeed, exclusive breastfeeders, because you don't have, you don't know how much is coming out and you start to panic about, are you not supplying enough? Are you doing too much? What if your baby's only nursing for this many minutes? Is that enough? And you're like, the panic happens because you don't have this like tangible, I pumped out this many ounces, whatever and so i kind of want to talk about that with you just yeah. to like ease people's mind or tell them when to be concerned or whatever so
0: totally Ugh. So the first place to start um is once again to so like reiter- re- reiterate <laughs> that like we're talking about we're going to talk about full-term normal healthy babies and like women who are breastfeeding so that there's a lot of tiny d- differences. If you've got a preemie or you've got whatever, but we're going to talk about like kind of the, the typical breastfeeding experience that most women are experiencing. But I also think we need to, to realize that we still live in a formula feeding culture, which means the information we are fed, maybe those free samples you got in the mail from bye bye baby or whatever. We are fed information that pushes you towards formula feeding. It's plain and simple. There is um, the WHO, the World Health Organization, has a code about how breast milk should be, uh, breast milk substitutes should be advertised, okay? So there's this code that says you can advertise this way, you can't advertise this way, you can't, you can't. We're one of the countries that doesn't pay attention to that code and literally does the opposite. So we are one of the only countries that says, yeah, 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 we don't care because most other countries in the world want breastfeeding to be successful. They follow this code. They will not market directly to women. They don't send you samples at your house. They are not allowed to even say breast milk is comparable to formula. Look at our formula. It's comparable to breast milk. Like there's literally rules and the U.S. goes like this, la, 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 because it is such a huge money-making thing for us. Culture like supports
1: that, whether pumping or formula of like, go back to work, you can't be with your baby all the time. And so moms are often left to be like, I literally can't exclusively breastfeed my baby because I need to go back to work. So now what's the best option for me? And like having to navigate all of that.
0: Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's other countries, like Sweden, women get a full year, full pay maternity because they value right. breastfeeding. And we don't have that situation here. So I think a lot of what women expect, a lot of what women have been taught, a lot of what we know about supply and demand, and am I making too much or not enough, is literally coming from formula companies who want you to give up, who want you to doubt your body, who want you to believe that you actually can't do it, and they're going to solve the problem for you. So I think when we talk about a lot of this, we just have to remember that like, This is literally a marketing plan (laughs) and most women can breastfeed their babies with zero problem, but that is not what we want you to believe and that's not going to make anyone money. So, I just want to say that off the bat, that it is really marketing and it is our culture that is the biggest hurdle for women and the supply and demand. Am I making enough or not enough? Is the biggest way they get you because they're like, well, you can't see what's in your boobs. How do you know? Are you sure your baby's satisfied? If you gave this bottle, you could measure, you know? And the, and then the people- into that well how many ounces I remember and I'm sure some of you who are moms know like you go to the pediatrician you have to write in like you know how your baby's doing like write like the update and they'll say like what are they taking breast milk formula right and I circle oh, breast milk how much how many hours you know like three ounces I would literally write in a boob full whenever they want <laughs> allow me to say I'm an exclusively breastfeeding mom who feeds on demand your question and now I'm thinking oh crap I don't know how many ounces that is I don't I don't know how often sometimes it's every 30 minutes sometimes it's every three hours how do I answer the questionnaire like literally doubting putting doubt in us for no reason at all so let's I, th- I feel like the first place, and you can tell me if you don't want me to start here. But I feel like the first place, the first question to answer is like, how do I know that my baby's getting enough? Because that's usually, yeah. uh, the first thing is like, how do I know? And then we can talk about if they aren't and an undersupply, and if they are an oversupply. But like, let's talk about baseline of like, how do we even know? And I, I keep waiting. I feel like someone's gonna invent, and it will be a dumb invention, but I feel like someone's gonna invent like a thing where you like put your boobs on it before you feed and then after, and then so they're gonna claim to like, see, you can move your boob and it'll tell you how much liquid has come out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even. Okay. <laughs> I'll I, I like- like- Oh my gosh. So, so I yeah. have
1: no idea though, just plop your boobs on the scale and be like, all
0: right, somebody <laughs> <You> else <have> this?" <laughs> It's <laughs> just so, I just feel like there, there's, as soon as people start to choose breastfeeding more, people who make money off of formula are going to have to look for other ways to make money, right? And we already see that with like trying to sell supplements to you to boost your supply, things like that. They're like, well, if you're not going to buy my formula, I got to find something to sell you. So, anyways, how do we know a baby's getting enough? First question How do we know is a baby getting enough? So, the absolute best way to know a baby's getting enough is to look at output. A baby that's not getting anything in is not going to have anything come out. And so the first question I ask a mom when she says, I don't know, my baby seems to be nursing all the time and they're up late at night and uh, they just don't seem ever satisfied. I'm like, Oh, what are their wet and dirty diapers looking like? Because if they're peeing and they're pooping, usually mom's are like, oh, God, I changed like 12 wet diapers today. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Output like, Babies don't pee if they're not getting enough in. They don't poop if they're not getting enough in. And if that, that is one of the easiest, simplest things that you can measure. If you're someone who likes to measure and you want to check things off on a chart, you're not going to be able to measure here. You can measure on the other side, measure the wet diapers. And we would say at the beginning of life, we would expect one wet diaper per day of life. So if they're one day old, they should have one wet diaper. If they're two days old, they should have two wet diapers. If they're three days old, there should be three. And when you get to six, <laughs> from then on, we would look for six wet diapers in a 24 hour period. And that's one way we're gonna know. If we have at least six wet diapers in a 24 hour period, we can be pretty confident we're moving in the right direction, this baby's getting a decent amount of milk. the
1: poopy diaper considered a wet diaper?
0: that's a great question. Um, early on, no, but as it gets later, most of the time, both of those things happen together. So it's hard to decipher like, um, you know, the early when it's meconium, it's very different. And that poop is really, you know, we would, we would expect kind of one poop a day for those first few days until they transition their meconium poop out. Um, but a breastfed, let's briefly say a breastfed baby that's let's say over three or four weeks old. So they're established in their breastfeeding relationship. They're more than a couple weeks old. A breastfed baby can literally poop six, seven, eight times a day and have that be normal. Or they can poop once every eight days and that can be normal. (laughs) So (laughs) it's insane. And your baby may transition in that a ton, because if they're in a place of a growth spurt and a lot of absorption, they might not have as much waste. Maybe they're at a place where they're just not growing as much, not absorbing as much, and they're having a lot more poopy diapers. Like literally anything in that spectrum is normal. So when mom's like, well, my baby didn't poop for three days, I'm like, and let me know when you get to nine. We'll talk about it then (laughs) because it's okay. And breast milk so closely accommodates to what a baby needs that they're able to use a ton of it. And sometimes there's just not a lot of poop and sometimes there is. So um, (laughs) diapers are, are a good indication, but not always the best because it can vary so much. I have the comments or questions, Shayla, by the way. So if something comes up that I need to like address and stop will you let me know? Well, there's one that's about like being in the weight curve.
1: So would that be another way? Like if your baby's consistently dropping in weight, does that necessarily mean that you have an under supply or that they said that the latch was wrong? Or would that be another way
0: that you'd like so that? Oh, outputs one. And we're yeah. going to look at gain as another. Now, what we have to realize about weight gain is that every single baby loses weight after they're born. And unless we talk about that, and unless you know what's going to happen, it can feel like, crud, I'm already failing. Like, my baby was born, they were 8 pounds, now they're 7 and a half pounds. 5 I'm already failing. I guess I'm yep. not going to. But babies are in water, <laughs> so when they're born, they die. If you were a mommy who had a lot of fluids, like you had uh, liters of fluid in labor, you had an epidural maybe and a liter of fluid, maybe you were on magnesium and you had a lot of fluid, your baby will come out fluid overloaded and will diurese, we call it, and like lose fluid and it will appear to be weight loss, but it's not abnormal. So there are some countries that weigh a baby at 24 hours and that's the weight that they go from instead of birth because they give them 24 hours to like adjust to being outside a water environment and then they weigh them so that they have a more accurate idea. So that's number one is that every baby is going to lose weight at the beginning. Our goal is for a baby to be back to their birth weight by between two to three weeks. Now, are babies who are slower to gain and are maybe back to their birth weight by let's say a month now there's a difference between a slow to gain baby and a failure to thrive baby and that's where a lot of people get confused is they get worried that their baby's failure to thrive and that's what pediatricians are focused on we don't want a failure to thrive baby and that's a baby that's basically not getting enough nutrients so they're shutting down they sleep a ton they don't E and poop appropriately. They are very lethargic, they're very hard to wake, they look emaciated. Like if you had a failure to thrive baby, you would know. Like if you're on this and you're listening to us right now and you pay enough like pay enough attention to want to listen to this, you would know something's wrong with my baby. But that's what pediatricians are wanting to avoid. They don't want you coming in with a failure to thrive baby. Now, a slow-to-gain baby is different. A slow-to-gain baby is a baby who's wants to eat, seems active at the breast, they're alert, they're peeing, they're pooping, but that scale's not moving quite as fast as we would want to see it. But what does that really mean? I mean like every person is a different person, right? We don't expect every little girl to start her period on exactly the same day. We accept that some girls start their period when they're 12 and some girls start their period when they're 17 and we don't worry about it. We don't do hormone replacement. If you're 14 and you haven't started your period yet, but for some reason we don't realize that like that starts at birth <laughs> and that some kids might be really quick to gain weight and some kids might be slower to gain weight. So we have to look at the whole picture because weight gain is absolutely important. It's absolutely something that we would utilize as a factor, but we have to look at the whole picture and not just a number on a a chart to tell us whether that baby's getting enough or not. So yes, weight gain would be another.
1: All right, we're gonna talk about probiotics, love bug probiotics specifically. I took these probiotics all through pregnancy all postpartum, and now I'm giving them to my toddler as she's more on solids and less on breast milk. During pregnancy, it helps my gut biome, it helps seed the gut biome for my baby, and we know that a healthy gut contributes to a healthy immune system. You can take their prenatal probiotics right along with your prenatal vitamins, and they have a subscription option, so you can just get them delivered to you exactly when you run out. I do not like subscription things, but I love them for my vitamins so that I never have to run out. I have an affiliate code. Hey Shayla for 15% off. I hope you love them. Let's get back to it.
0: Um, also, making sure that if you are a breastfeeding mom, that when you go to the pediatrician, they're using an exclusively breastfed chart. Did you know most charts are made by formula companies and based off of formula feeding babies? So breastfed babies don't fall appropriately. So when oh, wow. they don't fitly on the chart, guess what? The first thing your pediatrician is going to tell you to do you probably should get some formula (laughs) because your baby's not gaining the way that I would expect it to. So you wanna make sure your pediatrician's using a breastfed baby chart first that's based off of exclusive breastfeeding and that you're looking at the whole picture. And if a baby is slow to gain, that's different than failure to thrive. But yes, weight would be the next one. So we would expect a baby to gain little bits every day, and that might look different for every baby, but somewhere around half an ounce to an ounce a day in the early, early period is pretty typical for a weight gain within, like, the first six weeks. So we would expect to see little bits of weight gain every time. Um,
1: Our breastfed babies, because Aaliyah was the mission, and, like, she was such a chubby baby. My doctor said, she's like, yep, this looks like a breastfed baby to me, like just super fat and just like just a chubby little baby. She And I didn't, I I knew it when we were there, but now when I look back at pictures, I'm like,
0: wow, you really
1: (laughs) are (laughs) the cutest little baby
0: and bald. She's hilarious. Is that, is that what a breastfed, is that typical? No. So just counter my exclusively breastfed, perfect, healthy baby, not chunky at all. I always wanted chunky babies. None of my children were chunky. So I would say that's a little bit more of potentially, potentially something to do with supply, but very rarely supply related. More likely genetics. Like I was a tall, skinny kid. I'm a tall, skinny human. I had tall, skinny babies (laughs) and not that you're like a Michelin human now. (laughs) That's why you had a Michelin baby, but like a little, I believe there's more of a genetic component to how that baby, how your baby will be. than there is like a, Oh, well, you did a good job and you fed them. So that's why they're fat versus they're not, you know, there's healthy. We want a healthy looking baby. Um, but when, when we think, and especially, I mean, it's, it's, I love the pediatricians are encouraging, but if you had your best friend sitting next to you who had a skinny baby, like I did, who was exclusively breastfeeding. And the pediatrician came in and was like, look at your fat breastfed baby. Oh, she's so cute. That other mom's first thought might be, was there something wrong with my breast milk? Because my breastfed baby's not so fat, you know? And, 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 And wow, your baby looks healthy and your baby looks healthy and oh, So glad you guys are doing the best thing for your baby. You know, so and that's a cultural thing. We want fat babies. Fat babies are cute. <laughs> fat babies are rolling. Right. It's yeah. like a cultural. But isn't it interesting that we like fat babies, but mm-hmm. then have like an, yeah. athlete, not an like, adult an, obesity here that's not healthy. And <laughs> we have kids that are obese that are not healthy, but like right. we make this push for having like these cute fat babies. Anyways. Okay, so oversupply, undersupply. How do you know if you're if you're pumping out well, even
1: if you're pumping, but I feel like everybody everybody's normal. I feel like that's the whole point of this. Let's just stop it. Everything, everyone's different. You might have a fat baby, you might have a skinny baby, they're healthy. You might make whatever ounces and it's all normal. Like there's just
0: so then I guess wouldn't you I don't know. Go like so, so what's so if if we are not seeing wet and dirty diapers. We're not seeing weight gain. If a baby seems to not hit developmental milestones, if they seem lethargic and not, we might say, gosh, this baby's not getting enough. Now, this baby's not getting enough doesn't mean this mom's not making enough. It means there's a, there's something happening. Maybe mom's not making enough. That's very possible. She has an undersupply. Or she's mm-hmm. fine, and the baby's not transferring enough. So the next question is, like, how do we make sure the baby's transferring? And that's a whole other conversation. We get good latch. We want to hear swallows. We want the breast of the mom to feel different after the feeding, where she says, gosh, like, I used to remember I could stick my finger down and, like, poke both my boobs and know, like, oh, this one need, we need to feed on this one next right? This became a sign for Aaliyah. She's like, Oh, it's coming. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So like there's things that let us know milk is being transferred. So let's say this mom says milk's being transferred. This baby's swallowing. This, my breast feels less full when they're done feeding and transfer happens, but my baby's still not peeing enough, not gaining weight. Okay. So then let's look at supply. And the body, the boobs work on a complete supply and demand. So there is not like if you have big boobs, you'll make more. If you have small boobs, you'll make less. It is literally, if you demand it from your body, your body will make it. And we see this in really cool situations. Like when there's, you know, a major disaster and earthquake somewhere and women have died and there's babies who aren't being fed and a mom who's breastfeeding like takes on a second baby and it's like, I'll keep this baby alive. Her body will literally accommodate and feed two babies. Like the demand is there, her body will create the supply. So if we have an undersupply, it's most likely 95% of the time because the demand hasn't been put there. And the body hasn't got the message, so think of it like this i like to I like to think of it like well let, let me back up. Usually, this happens because of a pacifier or because of a very helpful family member who wants to give a bottle to give you a break. Like this is always usually out of the goodness of someone's heart of let me help you. This baby seems like they're nursing all the time. Let's just give them a pacifier. I'll walk them. You go take a nap. Or let's just give me, let me do one bottle. You go sleep. I'll take care of it at night. And those moments. So you have to understand babies come out fully prepared to demand milk. That is the only thing, literally the only thing they know how to do. They are not capable, they're one of the most immature. If we look at all mammals, I mean, horses can like walk the day they're born. Can you imagine carrying a baby for an extra year until they could walk? (laughs) No! (laughs) (laughs) And we have to push them out. (laughs) So our babies are born really premature. They can't feed themselves. They can't even regulate their body temperature very well. They need help with regulating their rhythms, their breathing, their sleeping. They would die if left alone. They're too premature. So they know I have to be close to my mom to survive. They, they don't know they're being born in 2020, 2021. They don't know that there's all the cute cribs and all this. All they know is they have brains that are the same as babies of brains for thousands of years, that if I can't smell my mom, I can't hear my mom, I can't taste my mom, I will not survive. So a baby is programmed to come and demand. Where's my mom? <laughs> Where's my mom? I want a nurse. Where's my mom? I've been food for 24-7 in utero where's my mom, (laughs) I wanna feed as much as I can. So they come programmed to do that. We live in a culture that says, oh, that baby is so demanding, don't give in, you're gonna make that baby manipulate you all Here's a pacifier, here's a chair that's gonna rock and have a heartbeat and gonna sound just like you. Here's all the things to substitute for you because baby comes ready to demand milk, but we, barricade that often by interrupting that demand. Now, if we don't interrupt that demand, if we let a baby just nurse when they wanna nurse, live in what we call the habitat on the chest of the mother, wrapped up in a carrier maybe, in bed, if a baby's here and they are allowed to demand as much as they want from the mother, mom, she'll make a supply that meets that demand. It's interrupting that baby and giving them a pacifier instead. Okay, so every suck on that pacifier should have been on mom. Every Mm -hmm. suck bottle should have been on mom. Every time that baby is comforted in another way, we're taking away from what mom needs. So now her body's over here like, I'm ready. I delivered a baby. I'm ready. But if there's no demand, if there's not a baby who's constantly here, if there's not someone who's saying, give me milk, give me milk, give me milk. Our bodies are excessively efficient and they will not do something that is wasting time, energy, and effort. (laughs) So... If there's milk not going somewhere, our body's like, well, forget that. And we literally have stretch receptors in our breasts that when our breasts get full and stretch, it tells our brain, stop making milk, you made too much. (sighs) Sometimes women will sit and they'll feel like, my boobs don't feel very full, let's wait. And let's nurse when my boobs feel more full, because then you'll get more milk. Wrong. The more full your boobs feel, the less your body's going to keep making it because your brain is now thinking, oh my gosh, I've made all this extra milk. There's not even a baby here. So we want babies feeding when they show a cue, whether you feel full or not, because removal of milk is what keeps the system moving.
1: So then, so you're saying if you replace with a pacifier or a bottle that can sometimes cause an undersupply, then how do you get an oversupply if you're constantly giving baby (sighs) boob?
0: So uh, that's such a good question. So let me, let me finish the sauna under supply real quick and then we'll jump there. So if we're giving this, well, okay, let me just answer your question. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> is usually because of too much stimulation. And what that might look like is this, I'm pregnant. My insurance just sent me a breast pump for free. Everyone tells me I should probably pump at the beginning because I probably won't have enough milk. So when my baby's born, I'm home and I'm feeding them. And then I'm putting the pump on too because it was given to me for free. And my friends told me that they all struggled with supply and that the pumping, like I have to go back to work in three months from now. So I should probably start pumping today. And that early, and I should clarify too, when it comes to the bottles and pacifiers interrupting, we're talking in the first six weeks past six weeks, your baby and your body are in sync with one another, and you usually are established at that point in time. Like if you've made it to six weeks, and you're exclusively breastfeeding, you're good. You can breastfeed for as long as you want to breastfeed, you're going to be fine. Your body will meet the baby's demands, no problem. But in those first six weeks, especially the first three weeks, if we start interrupting with a pump, (laughs) or with a pacifier, we can alter what the body's doing. So if the body is feeding a baby, and the baby's taking this much, because that's how big their belly is, but your head's like, I don't know, it didn't feel like the baby took very much, an hour later, they seem hungry, I bet I don't have enough, I should probably start pumping, and then you pump. And all you see is this much milk, and you're like, oh crap, I don't have very much, see, I knew it, I gotta pump some more. Instead of going, oh, it's probably exactly what my baby needed, because their belly's only this big, we roll into extra stimulation often. And now it doesn't take much at the beginning for the body to go, oh, I didn't know we delivered twins. I can make twice as much milk as you need. <laughs> no problem. So a lot of times we see this with NICU moms who maybe had to pump for like a few days or a week because their baby was in the NICU and they come home and they have like a freezer full of milk and they're like, holy mackerel, my body's making way more than it needed to. So that's one of the typical times we see is if there's any interruption in that maternal process by, the, by stimulation that is extra than the baby. Right. The second time we would see a potential oversupply as very, very typical with second, third, fourth babies, because the cool thing about boobs is that every single pregnancy they literally reset, and their ability to make more milk increases what? so if you had a low supply for your first, it means nothing for your second your third, your fourth nothing and here's the, I wish I could like slash you all to give you this example because my boob <laughs> Um, I won't, but (laughs) this breast, (laughs) about two years ago, I had a very, very, very minor mole removal on this breast. Okay. It had a few stitches. I kid you not. Something happened over here and it literally started to decline in its production. This used to be my kid's favorite side. All three of them, they call it the mole side because we're a little mole here. They love that side. It always produced a lot. And I don't know what it was. The trauma of this, like, I don't know what it was. This side starts producing less it got to the point like a year ago where if i went like say a full day like i went on vacation a full day away from my kids for work or something this boob would be so painful i'd have to pump it and this one would be a flapjack literally not producing anything now i could hand press and i'd ask my kids because of course i nurse babies that can talk like do you get any milk out of this side and they're like no not really i'm like well How odd, so as soon as I got pregnant with this baby, I thought like, I wonder what's gonna happen with my dead boob, like is, is it gonna reset? Am I gonna get milk out of this thing? Am I gonna just nurse off of one boob? Which by the way, you can nurse off of one breast and supply a baby, that's why we have two. It's because twins are normal and if one's not working, you got second. But this pregnancy, this breast has literally come back to life. It is back and full, it is dark, it is responding to pregnancy the way that you would expect a breast to. And I have zero doubt it will start producing just like it did before. That is crazy. No, yeah. so, and the body. So there's, there's inter, the, the body is ready to make milk. But here's my, the best analogy for how this, this works. Imagine your breast, like a restaurant, okay? You have chefs in there that are gonna make food. Now, when you come to a restaurant, I was a cocktail waitress for years, when you came in, I was gonna ask first, what would you like to drink, right? most of the time water, a cocktail something. Okay. So I'm going to bring you hydration first. The next, this is a fancy restaurant, by the way, our boobs are very fancy. The next part of the restaurant would probably be a salad, maybe some light appetizer, right? So let's say we have a salad and then we're going to have some breadsticks and then we're going to bring the main course, like the meat and potatoes. And at the very end of your meal, you're going to be asked, would you like anything for dessert? And that course of the meal goes from hydration to increased calories, increased fat, and desserts like the high calorie, high fat, okay? So this is how we eat a meal, and this is how the breasts with like mature production do. We have four milk, which is like the beginning parts, the hydration, and then the hind milk, which is like the dessert, okay? But now the, the chef, your body, starts by making dessert first. So imagine them back there, they make the dessert and they sit it there. And if it doesn't go anywhere, then they make the meat and potatoes and it doesn't go anywhere. And then they put out the breadsticks and then it puts out the salad and then it puts out the water and you go, oh, my boobs are so full. I got to feed a baby. Baby latches on, they take the water, the salad, the breadsticks, the food. And then if they're really hungry, they stay and they take that dessert. Now the chef is like, that full meal is gone. Let's start over. We got to make, you know, dessert. So now in the first six weeks, The chef, the restaurant is trying to figure out how many people do I need to hire here? How many chefs do I need to hire? So if I make dessert and then it's gone and I make dessert and it's gone and I make dessert and and make a little bit of the main course and it's gone, I'm gonna hire some more chefs because I can't keep up with this demand at the restaurant. I can't even get to the salad before it's gone. Now that's a baby that's cluster feeding that's going from this boob to this boob every 30 minutes. Yes, and you're like, I remember
1: that Oh, she just keeps going. And then you do start to question, like, I'm not making enough. Why is she coming back every 30 minutes?
0: Yes. But what you don't know most of the time is that she's getting dessert, dessert, high fat, high calorie, high fat, high calorie. She's getting great nutrients. And what she's doing is she's telling the chef, you better hire a few more people to help you. We got a hungry baby. <laughs> <We're laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> so, in the first like month to six weeks, the chef, the body is trying to figure out who, who do I need to hire? And if we interrupt that process of moving milk, then literally we get to a point where the breast tissue, the cells that are intended to make milk will die if they're not utilized. So if we only have two, let's say just two chefs, like I know this is just an analogy, but let's say we have only two chefs, okay? And at some point, two chefs can only do so much. And it's like they have six weeks before the doors are closed and they're not allowed to hire anyone else. So we need to hire the appropriate amount of chefs early on because at six weeks-ish, it's kind of like everyone's tenured, everyone's got retirement, everyone's staying, no, <laughs> everyone's happy. No one's gonna leave, no one's gonna get fired. Like we got we got a full functioning, and that chef group is going to literally be able to accommodate to that baby no matter how long you choose to nurse for. You wanna nurse for a year, you wanna nurse for two years, it doesn't matter, they will be able to meet that baby's needs as like a team. Okay. So if at the beginning we're telling the restaurant, hire more chefs, hire more chefs, hire more chefs, hire more chefs then sometimes what happens is we end up with like 15 desserts, 15 dinners, 15, right? And then the baby comes to nurse and they just get water. They just get salad. They just get a little bit of breadsticks and they don't get super satisfied and they don't move a ton of milk, um, because there's too much. And sometimes we have then that like four milk, high milk imbalance where baby's getting too much of the hydration. They're not getting enough of the hind milk because we have too much milk. And so what we need in those situations for the boobs to sit full for a little bit. We need the brain to say, chill out. Right. Too many chefs, too yeah. much green. <laughs> <We So that's laughs> to that- fire some of those chefs.
1: You're done, thank you. We don't, we don't have enough customers coming to get
0: it. Yeah. Right. If triplets, then we would need you here. If we right. had twins, we would need you here. We have one baby. Turns out we don't need you. So what happens with baby number two and baby number three is that there's a certain amount of that initial staff that's still there, still employed.
1: I've <laughs> that. If you are at all like me, you were terrified to try and start baby led weaning. I listened to a podcast that talked about the difference between choking and gagging, and it helped a lot. So I looked up the person who was talking about it, and it was Edwana from My Little Eater. She has a course that shows you how to introduce it, what features to look for in a high chair. She gives you some food ideas and when to know if your baby is ready. What I like about her is that she's like, cool, if they're ready for solids, here's what you're gonna do. But if they're not showing these things, maybe just start with, with purees, and that's okay. For me, I was all in. I'm like, yes, baby led weaning, here's a whole banana. And then as soon as my baby like attempted to bite it, I was like, okay, maybe not. So she's super supportive of all the ways that you can feed your baby. I love it. I have an affiliate code for their courses. Hey, Shayla, for 15% off. Let's get back to it. you can like, I read they're like I can still squeeze milk across across the room. And it's been months since my baby is weaned. Like it's still like, that's crazy. But well, so then, yeah. like when I supply and I reached out to you and I was like, I think I have an oversupply. It's like a high milk thing. So it was the poop. Like that's a different thing. But I remember you recommending. Or, I can't remember if you recommended this, but block feeding. So like just feed on one boot for four hours. Then the next four hours, feed on the other one. Let this one get full and tell your body, yo, fire some chefs. (laughs) (laughs) And that helped a lot. It helped to regulate because I was just, I, I, I think I remember messaging you too. Like, do I always need to wear these like pads in my bra? Because I leak all day long. You were like, uh, you might have an oversupply. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. At least I know I
0: don't have to do this for like however long. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so it is, it's very, there's things that we can do. And a lot of times women think, oh, I just, I would love to have an oversupply. Like, I want to pump at the beginning because I'd love to have like too much milk because they feel like there's going to be comfort in that. And there there's a tiny bit of comfort in that feeling like, oh, I got a lot of milk and my baby is, but really it's, it's hard. It's as hard as having an undersupply. Like women who have an oversupply often are having to pump or they're in a lot of pain. They're maybe getting mastitis more than the clogged ducts or their baby has a hind milk, poor milk imbalance or they feel like they literally can't sleep even though their baby sleeps for four hours at a time. They can't cause their boobs wake them up at two hours and they have to pump. And so it's not like this great thing. Like every mom should have an oversupply. Like, no, well, we want scarcity, I feel like. Yeah, that they're not going to have enough. So they want to make too
1: much. So I guess if someone has an oversupply, what would you recommend them? Okay. So I guess if someone has an oversupply, you'd recommend just doing breasts, but what if they have to pump for work or how do you recommend kind of like regulating down, going back from an oversupply and then how can you increase from an undersupply?
0: So A lot of that manipulating is best done in the first six weeks. Our body is responsive. We're still hiring chefs. We're still firing chefs. We're still trying to figure out a baby mom like dynamic in the first six weeks. So my recommendation for most moms is that you do nothing else but you and baby for the first four to six weeks, like nothing else, nothing that could interrupt that. No pumping, no pacifiers, nothing but baby demanding what they want. And you having your, like, even, we're in Southern California where there's earthquakes. Not a ton, but there are. And so I'll even tell people, like, just pretend like there was a major earthquake. You have no running water. You have no ability to get to the store. You, it's you and your baby. And that's it. You're going to keep your baby alive by just, just you and the baby. Yeah. And so that's my first recommendation is, like, do not interrupt that process. Because once you hit six weeks, your chefs are established Your baby is transferring food we're happy you can literally add all the other things you can throw a pacifier into the mix it won't screw you up you can pump at work it won't screw you up like you have established like we understand each other and you can move then we talk about like how to pump at work and like how to make sure your baby's not being overfed by a caregiver and like that's a whole another podcast we'll do sometime but then it's really in those first six weeks where you have a lot of flex so in those first six weeks the absolute best thing you can do is not interrupt the communication between yourself and your baby. And that literally means not swaddling them. Don't cover your baby's hands. Um, Like swaddling a baby with their hands covered in a rocker that's doing this and shushing them is probably making them miss feeding cues and missing the opportunity to tell you that they're hungry and so if you're doing that a ton and you have an undersupply it's probably because your baby's not waking to give you the cues naturally that they would because you're doing all these things to shush them um so, so it's because I
1: feel like ah that just like <laughs> to me that because <laughs> I don't know like it's I feel exactly what you're saying all the natural things and let your baby give you the cues and like, don't try and, um, I don't know, over comfort them so that they're so tired or whatever. But those are literally the things that we're supposed to do because we're busy and we have other things to do. So make sure the baby's taken care of Or Like we've got to go somewhere. So make sure that this is happening. And it's just so challenging because you don't want a mom to be like, Oh my gosh, I was doing the wrong thing by putting them in this thing that, and it's my fault. And like,
0: No, you were doing the best thing by trying to comfort your baby, but talk about that because I, yeah, I don't want any of this to come off as like, you should have, should have, should have like, no, no, no. I'm just telling you what we know biologically is appropriate world. This is what's biologically appropriate. Now I will 100% validate that we live in a culture that doesn't support that, that wants you back to work right away. That wants you at Starbucks on day three with your girlfriends and is wondering why you're, bussing in their plastic carrier. Like we have a culture that does not lean into, you should be home. There's nothing more important than feeding your baby. I mean, there are some countries where for the first 40 days and some women here look at it as very um, like demeaning, but that for the first 40 days, women don't leave their house, like after having a baby, that they are home. And the way I look at that is like, that is a culture that says for the first 40 days, We as a community are doing all of your meals, we are doing all of your cleaning, we are doing all of your cooking because we know there is nothing that is more important than you healing your body and you feeding your baby. Is that our country? Is that our culture? No. <laughs> so we get stuck. We get stuck here in this in between of how do I do that? How do I care for my postpartum body that just pushed a baby out of my vagina? And it's and we nine months. It takes nine months to grow a child. We should give ourselves nine months to recover from that. But we give ourselves what two weeks and then we expect to be back to normal self. And then we have these babies that are premature who need nothing but like skin to skin and breastfeeding. And we have a culture that says, get them out. We got to put them in a container. They can't be interrupting you. You better get your dishes done. So put, you know, and I I understand that is a huge, huge hurdle and barrier for most women, which is why we have a country where most women don't succeed at breastfeeding. It's not because they're not capable. It's because the cultural pressure, expectation, all of the other things are not set up to support us. Like, could you imagine if every single woman, the minute she delivered, had someone who provided her food cleaning for 40 days straight? Yeah,
1: that sounds incredible.
0: That sounds... <laughs> and in that situation, she'd probably be really successful if she wanted a breastfeeding relationship and that's what she wanted to do. There, would, there wouldn't be a barrier. Right. She would she would be breastfeeding and someone would be bringing her food and water <laughs> and holding the baby for her to take a shower. So right. yeah, it's really, really, really hard to, in our culture, do that. And so I do think it's, it's strategic then, like if you feel like I have to pump, because I have to go back to work at week four for whatever reason, well, then we can talk about that. We can figure that out. We, that's like a personal, like I sit with women and we personalize exactly how we're going to make this work so that you can have a successful relationship with your baby, even if you have to pump, or even if you, um, you know, are in a situation where your child's going to be daycare really, really early on, and they need a way of comforting and you're going to use a pacifier. Like there are ways that's very um, personal. And like, that's part of what, lactation consultants do is we sit down with women and we talk through like exactly how we're going to help them make their breastfeeding relationship work because it is, it's not this simple. It's not as simple as I'm around. Okay, So
1: I have a couple, we have like 10 more minutes. Okay. I don't know. What was I going to say from that? I don't remember, but I feel like kind of what you're saying as far as oversupply under undersupply in the first six weeks is the best time to establish a matched supply with your baby of just trying not to intervene too much with the bottle, the pacifier, or the pump. If you don't have to, and then, or if you choose not to, whatever. And then, but what happens after that six weeks? Because a lot of times, like, great if you're pregnant and watching this, and now you've got that knowledge, okay, do it for six weeks if that works. What happens after that six weeks when you have an oversupply or an undersupply? How can you decrease or increase that. Or can you?
0: So it is harder to change after six weeks, but still very possible. When it comes to an oversupply, block feeding is absolutely one of the first things that we talk about because it's letting the breast stay full. Sometimes I will encourage a mom to take like a lecithin, a soy lecithin or sunflower lecithin, and that is a lubricant because if you have an oversupply and we're going to start letting your breast stay full for longer periods of time, you increase your chance of having a clogged duct or mastitis. And that is awful. So if you can take something like a sunflower lecithin, which is, it's a, it basically lubricates your ducts and keeps it from um, melting. The clots. It's or not clots, um, curdles. It's like milk curdling. So if you can keep your milk from curdling while it's sitting there, then you're less likely to have those problems. So I will often start a mom on some type of lecithin supplement and then have her move to block feeding so that her breasts stay full. Um, I will encourage her to not pump. and Like if she's someone who's like, Oh, the baby's sleeping quite a bit at night, but I wake up to pump no more pumping, when you feel full, we hand express instead. So hand expression, we call it like a pump for comfort or a hand expression for comfort. So if you're trying to decrease your supply, your baby is not demanding milk, but you feel like, oh my gosh, my boobs are gonna explode. Often it's easy to sit down, throw a pump on for 15 minutes, move five ounces of milk or whatever crazy oversupply you have and then feel like, oh, I just feel so much better. now oh, the baby's up and hungry, perfect, now I'll feed. But that's actually telling your body that you just fed two babies. <laughs> and that doesn't help. So what we want to do is e- express for comfort, meaning you're going to go like maybe to the bathroom or to the shower, or maybe just, you know, over a cloth- washcloth or something, and you're going to hand express just until you're not in pain. That's it. Let them stay full, move a little bit of milk, but you're going to move enough that you're not like hurting. We don't want you hurting. That maybe means putting on a hand pump for like three minutes, but the goal is to let your breast stay full while moving that teeny bit of milk so that you're not in pain and you don't get mastitis and you do that consistently. It doesn't take long, sometimes three to four days for your body to respond to a change and you can start to decrease your supply and notice, Oh, huh. I'm not in pain as much anymore. I still feel really full, but I'm not in pain. Great. Okay. Well, I'm not in pain, so I'm not going to pump. I'm not going to stimulate my boobs anymore. I'm just going to let the baby do its thing. Um, And this happens throughout, like, babies. A a two-month-old baby is not needing the same amount of milk as a six-month-old baby. So that two-month-old baby, when it hits a three-month growth spurt, is going to have a growth spurt where it nurses, 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 and says to the body, I need you to make more. And then the body No problem, and the baby grows. And then the next growth spurt comes, and the baby nurses like crazy. I need you to make more. And the body goes, Oh, no problem. And it goes. So this happens constantly, but the same can happen with a decrease. So let's say the baby's sick, for example, and they want to nurse a ton for comfort because they have a cold, whatever it is, they have a cold, they're nursing a ton, and the body takes that as like, well, we need to increase supply. And then the increased supply and the baby really didn't need more milk. They were just nursing because they had a little bit of a cold. Then it'll take a few more days of the body sitting kind of full to go, Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll decrease. Again. So the body will constantly change right. and it on that stimulation that the baby gets. So if you have an undersupply and you're trying to boost your supply and you're past that six weeks or two month mark, stimulate your breasts. Make sure you're not, every time your baby looks hungry, put them on, even if it was 30 minutes ago that they were last hungry, put them on again. Like increase, increase that stimulation. Maybe that means that when you latch your baby on one side, you grab your hand pump and you stimulate the other side at the same time. And then when your baby switches sides, you switch the hand pump and you stimulate that other side, increasing that stimulation and that message to the chefs. It takes three to four days again and you can increase your supply. It takes determination. It takes motivation. It takes support. And I think that that, those are the things that are support. Mostly the thing that's, that's lacking. It's like, if you to do that, let's say you have an under supply and you really want to increase it. You need your husband on board or your support person, whoever you're living with your spouse on board. You need your caregivers. If you on board, you need everyone in your life on board because it is so easy for your spouse to say, oh, honey, you look, you've been nursing that baby all day long. Aren't you exhausted? Let me just give a bottle and you take a nap. And it's really easy to be like, yes, right. give a bottle. Let me take a nap. And so it really takes like the determination and support in order to, to make those shifts. But I believe it is very possible the human body grew a baby for nine months it's not going to bail we know that human bodies are supposed to feed have the capability of feeding up until a child is seven years old which i know sounds crazy but you as long as you keep stimulating your breast, you can keep making milk like forever
1: between breasts like um baby to boob and pump as breast stimulation is there a
0: difference is that what you asked your supply? Um, Yes. The baby will always move more milk than a pump will. So a pump, let's say, is going to move the meat and potatoes, the bread, the salad. The baby's going to get to the dessert. So a baby frequently nursing is going to increase your supply much faster than a pump frequently moving milk because the pump cannot move the really, really deep milk. Not as easily. There is, though, up in, was it Berkeley? There was research done this is great this is this is worth a whole hour if you've stayed on if you for 30 to 60 seconds prior to pumping lean forward and shake your boobs like this okay. 30 to 60 seconds you will actually loosen some of that dessert and pump more hind milk out in that pumping session than if you don't
1: does the same work if you just like or did shimmy, could you just shimmy a little bit? Would that work? Yep, 30 to 60 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> <laughs> the partner comes and you're like, I'm just loosening the dessert, honey. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> That's so funny,
0: Dana, isn't that crazy? So, but like, who knows that? No one knows that. So most women are not gonna move the dessert very well when they pump, but <laughs> if you shake, you will. <laughs>
1: Supplements that can help with your, like, if you are, we're doing an exclusive pumping on Friday, but she's not a lactation consultant. She's just somebody that does exclusive pumping. So she's got tons of tricks and whatever for making it easier tips and tricks. That's what I was looking for. But if you are exclusively pumping, are there supplements or something that you can take to increase your supply?
0: That's a great question. And research would tell us that there's not something that's like a guarantee. It's very much a person by person um, anecdotal. You'll hear a woman who said, I started eating oatmeal and like it was night and day, my milk was amazing. I started drinking mother's milk tea. It was incredible. Nothing data wise holds up as like, this is the thing that always works. But what I believe, and this is my personal opinion, is that it has a lot more to do with what's going on up here than anything else. So if you're a mom who's worried about supply and you go and you buy mother's milk tea and you're like excited about drinking it in the morning and you drink your mother's milk tea every day and your mental place is like, this is good for my milk supply. I, I feel like I'm making more like you're going to see that and it's going to help you. Now, if buying mother's milk tea feels like one more thing I have to do and it's stress out and I forgot to drink it this morning. Like you literally won't see any difference. So I, when it comes to women who ask about supplementation, I tell them, I want you to do what feels the best. If that means you're going to like commit to drinking a certain amount of water every day and that feels really good to you and you feel confident, do it. It will probably work. Cookies? (sighs) (laughs) 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 Cookies are the best, you know, so just eat all the cookies. No, but seriously, Like I loved these cookies that they tasted good. It made me feel like this is good for my supply. And so I do think that there's like a placebo element to that. And that's not a bad thing. Like we just want your milk supply up. (laughs) It doesn't matter how that's happening. If it's because you're drinking tea and you love it, great. Do it. Outside of that, just supplements, there are certain things in the woman's body. Like if you have unstable blood sugar, unstable blood sugar levels, you have PCOS, you have diabetes, those women are more likely to have issues with supply because from a hormone perspective, the more unstable your blood sugar is, the more unstable your hormones are and you actually might have a hormonal reason for struggling with supply. That's very possible. Um, And what else? That's kind of the big one is usually like insulin sensitivity issues that cause hormonal challenges. For example, like um, if a woman maybe didn't carry the baby herself, maybe she had a surrogate who carried the baby, but she's inducing lactation and she's going through a lot of hormone therapy and treatment stuff. We might see changes in her ability to make a supply because she's having to manipulate the hormone side. So like that's kind of different. That's like a more medical issue. And I will say, because I didn't say this earlier, there are about two to 5% of women who have what are called aplastic breasts, which means they literally don't have breast milk making tissue in their breasts. So for like two to 5% of women, um, they no matter how much they try to increase their supply, they literally don't have like the restaurant. It's not there. Mm-hmm. And when they're like 17 weeks gestation in their mom's belly. So it happens developmentally at about 17 weeks gestation. it's not, There's nothing you can do about it. Um, and it's really something that can be caught pretty early because women with aplastic breasts have very different looking breasts. They're very flat. They kind of point tubular to the side. They don't change during pregnancy. They're never tender. Um, so there is, I want to say there is some people who, they're a small population of people who actually do not have milk making capability. Um, We had a mom like this in our group and she could make a tiny, tiny bit of milk, but she still had her baby on her breast for an entire year because she used herself as a, instead of a pacifier. So she gave formula. And when he wanted to pacify, like they had a breastfeeding relationship for a year Yeah, and got all the other things, all the bonding, all of the other things that you get from breastfeeding.
1: There's some women who their baby cannot latch and there's some women who can latch, but don't have the milk. Like everyone's experience is so unique. And that's kind of like, I mean, like I said, in the beginning, it's just, I don't know, just validating everyone's experience. And, but the support is where it, like, it's just uh, like, for me, I had a lactation consultant, in the hospital, and my pediatrician was a lactation consultant. So like, I went to the pediatrician and she was like, oh, you need a hamburger and then have the baby. Da, da, da. And I was like, oh, okay, ah, whatever. So I think it's, I think these conversations are really important to have. And I think some people get a little upset about things because they're not inclusive, but I think for the people that it's for, it's incredibly helpful. And so then you find the information that's specifically for what you're looking for. And I think that's awesome. I guess.
0: Uh, support groups. I mean, the reason why I'm passionate about it is like, Great. I and moms sitting in here with 10 different experiences. yeah. And and not only does it validate each one of them as like, oh, like we're all normal and fine and healthy people and we all had a different experience, but it also allows us to to cater the support and information because what I've shared here is this is like blanket statements, Right. right? right? This is like, in general, if we're talking about the vast majority of women in the world, but this is, it's not specific. And it's how do you find the support. Like, how do you find a lactation consultant?
1: I know that sounds dumb, but like,
0: no, well, you can look up the IBCLC website and they list all of their IBCLC certified lactation consultants on that website. So that's one way you can search your area. Um, usually if you are delivering at a baby friendly hospital, one of the requirements for them to be baby friendly is to hand you a list of breastfeeding support group stuff in the area before you discharge. Now I'll tell you, we did that at our hospital, but it was in with about fifteen other pieces of paper, and you're a postpartum mom whose brain doesn't work. A pile of paper ends up, who knows where, out of the and- car
1: yesterday. <laughs> you know, I just said yeah, but even just
0: okay. So look on the look on a website. What I'm gonna write it in the comments. IBCLC. So I think the I'm trying to remember what the actual website is, um, but yeah, you would, would want to look up like. International Board Certified Lactation Consultants. Okay. And there's a, a like a the website that basically, it's like an RN website where you could search any person to see if they have their license. Yes. Um, but the La Leche League is still thriving. So you can always look up the website, the La Leche League, and see if there's anyone in your area. Um, one of the places we advertise, our support groups, is the local baby stores. So like not the best, bo- the Bed Bath & the uh, Bye Bye Babies, not the big ones, but like the local mm-hmm. places might, Little resource board, um, Facebook <laughs> searching for moms groups. I mean, it's uh, thank goodness for social media. A lot of people can find support on Facebook or Instagram. Um,
1: or how can people find you on social media?
0: Or what do you talk about more? I'm going to disappear. I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> I'm going mine tomorrow. So
0: nice. <laughs> Yeah. Bye. No, I mean, you can follow me on my private personal Instagram, which hopefully is connected here somehow as standing so tall. Um, I have uh, in, in my little bio part of there's a link to the community carriage house and that is an instagram that is my breastfeeding support group i will tell you in all full honesty with the past year of covid we have not been meeting in person we redesigned our entire space i have not been actively posting on there but hoping to get back to it because we'll be holding our groups in person again Um, i currently and you can find on that instagram do every tuesday afternoon a zoom support group for an hour on zoom so people anywhere. In the world can tune in um and we talk through this kind of stuff we answer questions we share challenges and um that's been a way for a lot of women to stay connected during this crazy time that we're in right now
1: is that a membership
0: what's that is that a membership no it's all free hey, hey! That's so, uh, smile at us and tell us about you and your baby <laughs> yeah no it's all free um we also have the, probably the best way to actually get a hold of us if you need to get a hold of me for some reason is in an email, communitycarriagehouse at gmail.com. And to give context for why we call it the community carriage house, I live in a home that was built in 1905. This back space was called a carriage house because it's where they would have put their horse in carriage and so when we, my best friend and I started our group, we thought, you know, we always, if this grows, which we hope it does someday, we always wanna remember that we started in the back carriage house of your house. So we call it the community carriage house. It's always free support. And um, someday we hope to have classes and things like that that we would charge for, but right now it's just free support.
1: Okay, well, I will get all that information so that I can put it in the description so that if anybody wants to find it, it's all there. So amazing, thank you so much, like always for all of the information. (laughs) And I definitely think like the list that I sent you of all the questions, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like five podcasts worth. So I think we should definitely do another call about another one of the topics and just go through it because you're so, Like, are you in your third trimester? I am 35 weeks, 36 days. I feel like the energy that you have right now is not third trimester (laughs) energy. And you are just so passionate about it. And you just, like, ooze it. And you're just, like, energetic and excited and whatever. And so that's – I mean, that's my vibe. I like that vibes. Okay, Okay. well, thank you so, 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 so much. Yes, we'll do this again.
0: Have fun. Get
1: back to all those nine kids and – I know. Hope that
0: the house isn't burning down. We'll see. (laughs)
1: I'll talk to you soon.
0: Sounds good. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
1: All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please share with somebody you think would love. And I would be so honored if you would subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment and rating below so I can know what you guys are digging, what you want more of, just connect with you a little better. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.